0: Hello and welcome everyone. So good to see you all again here tonight and everyone online as well. I'm glad you could join us in that way as well. And just uh, make sure if you are online to participate, write in the notes there and tell us what your thoughts are and and what you are getting from this and um, any prayer requests as well. We love praying for all you guys online. So if there's anything you need prayer for, make sure you um, let us know and we will absolutely pray for you this week. So this week we're continuing our series that we're doing, it's called Philippians to Philemon. James did a great job last week, I think most people would have seen that. Give him a clap, that's that's worthwhile. He did an awesome job at bringing Philippians to light for us. And um, while he was doing that, I listened to it on the Monday because I was doing the kids, but um, I spoke, last time I spoke I talked about the active learning principle, when you come to something whether it be online or in church or a seminar or a conference every time you have an opportunity to learn something come ready to learn come to be an active learner so that means come with a a good attitude a ready heart come practically ready with a notepad and pen and write those things down because if you're anything like me like the holy spirit can convict you of something halfway through a seminar and if you don't write that down there and then there's a good chance that you're not going to um, remember that and you're not going to be able to act on that thing that the Spirit's prompted you to. So whenever you have an opportunity to learn, let's, let's be active learners and go as deep as we can with God.
1: So anyway, tonight
0: it's my turn. I'm talking on Colossians. And, um, and next week it's uh, Chris's turn with 1 Thessalonians. So in that spirit of being prepared, make sure this week you have a read through Thessalonians. So when Chris teaches on it next week, you'll be well prepared and get the most from it. But tonight, before I start, i just always like to pray, so if we can just stop for a moment and and pray, because I need all the prayer I can. (laughs) So Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much. I thank you that you are a great and loving God, that you are our sustainer, that you paid the price. That picture that Mark gave us before is such a great picture of, of what it is for our Father to give his Son to pay the penalty for us, and we're just so thankful for that. Tonight, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit is alive and active in this room. As I speak off from the book of Colossians, I just pray that it's um, coming from your heart, that any of my stuff will not get in the way of your word and your message. May your spirit be alive here this night, we just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're doing Colossians. This picture here is not actually of Colossae, the town, because Colossians. It's funny enough, Colossians hasn't been the Colosse hasn't been excavated yet, but this is of the nearby city Laodicea. So Colossians was a, a letter written by Paul to the believers in a town called Colossae. It was situated in modern day Turkey in the southwest corner. You can probably go to the next slide there. Which one have I got next? Oh no. This is actually modern-day Colossae. This is what it looks like. And there's an Australian team who wants to excavate this site. So um, you never know, there could be a long-lost buried letter of Paul under that dirt down there. Who knows? So um, Colossae, it was in the province of Asia Minor in the Roman Empire. So it had really strong Roman, Greek, and Eastern influences in it. And this really affected the church and, the, and how they practiced their faith. Uh, interestingly enough, seven of the closest cities... If you go to the next slide, seven of the closest cities... I don't know if you can see. I'm not connected. So Colossae is down the bottom here in the southwest corner. But you'll notice some of the church names there are the same churches that um, Jesus spoke to John about in Revelation, where he wrote those letters in Revelation 2 and 3. You've got Laodicea, Philadelphia, Sardis, Thyatira, Pergamum, Ephesus, all of those there. So that's where the letter was written to Colossae. And, And way over here is Jerusalem and Damascus, where Paul first encountered Jesus. So... This is a place that Paul had never been to. He'd never been to this church before, but he still had influence there because of his work in the Gentiles, in the work in Asia. And the guy who started that church, um, I'll see if I can get his name right. Oh, what was it? Epa. Oh, I'm on my next note. Epa. Yeah, that's it. It's right down the bottom here. Epa, Epa. Ephrus. I never get it. Epaphras, Epaphras, yes, he founded the church and he was likely one of Paul's converts from when he was in um, Ephesus, I think it was. So Colossae was quite a wealthy city, it was known for its wool producing, it produced a really nice red woolen cloth it was well famous for, but it was also on, you'll notice how all those towns are in a straight line, it's like a road that led through Asia and across, so it was quite a, a wealthy city and was quite influential in its day. It existed until about 1100 A.D. when there was lots of people invading the land and everyone moved to a bigger city nearby. They moved to um, Laodicea. So yeah, if you want to get on the archaeological team, you can look it up. There's an Australian team who wants to do it um, soon. So this letter was written around 60 A.D. They reckon Paul died around 62 or 63 A.D. So it was only a couple of years before the end of his death, uh, before the end of his life. And like Philippians... Um, James taught last week it was written while Paul was in prison he wrote it to encourage them on their journey but also to refute some errors that were seeping in things about Jewish legalism the worship of angels and those Greek and Roman influences we were talking about before Colossae was a embattled church in a world hostile to the ways of Jesus and this letter gives us beautiful insight into timeless truths that take us into a deep understanding of Jesus and a deeper understanding of how a life in Jesus is lived. So let's go to the next slide. Yes, so tonight we're going to look at Colossians in two parts. I just like this picture, so I put it up there. I think it illustrates the, the majesty and authority of Jesus well. But um, we're going to look at Colossians in two parts. The first of all is the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus which is as fancy words to say the authority of Jesus and the fact that what he's done on that cross, cross is all sufficient. Everything's done that needs to be done to give us access to the eternal throne. Colossians is all about Jesus. Jesus is mentioned about 43 times directly by Paul as he writes this letter. And in every single paragraph of the letter, there's a mention of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He's just driving home that point. So we'll go on to the first point tonight, which is the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. You can probably go to the next slide. Oh, yep, that's the one. A good summary for this this part of Colossians, and this is coming from Colossians 1 through to about Colossians 2.15. A good summary is Jesus created all and then Jesus died for all. In Colossians, we have the the, um, boldest declaration of who Jesus was and what was accomplished on the cross that uh, I think Paul wrote. And I just want to read through this section here. This one particularly for me sums it up about what Paul's um, thoughts on who Jesus is. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to it or you're welcome to read it off the screen there. It's from Colossians 1. It's starting at verse 13. "'For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness "'and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, "'in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins.'" and is he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So this highlights, to me, I think, it'd be hard to argue against it that Jesus is more than just a man. He's not an angel like the JWs would like to tell us, or a prophet. He is a created. He is. Um, he is the creator. He is God. This is Paul's statement about um, who Jesus is. That Jesus is God. He was more than just a good man. He was more than just. A teacher, that he was actually God in in flesh. So we're going to go through those um, two things: the supremacy and the sufficiency. Just so I can show you what Paul's thinking is on all this stuff. So we can put that table up, which is next. We'll just quickly run through these things to just lay a foundation about who Jesus really is. So the first thing is, we are part now of the kingdom of the Son. If you've accepted Jesus, you've moved to to be part of the kingdom of the Son. There is also a dominion of darkness. So there's two choices. You can have God or evil, light or darkness. You can have goodness or sin. There is an enemy who wants to harm, kill and destroy us like we read in John ten ten. But uh, all authority and all power has been given to Jesus now. It says he's disarmed um, every power and authority. So by Jesus' death on the cross... He's abolished the power that was there in the enemy. It's no longer there. All power that the enemy has is what we hand over to them. If we're in Jesus, um, we don't have to surrender to those powers anymore. The next point is that um, he is the image of the invisible God. And it says later on in in 119, and again in Colossians 2.9, that all fullness of God dwelt in Jesus in bodily form. So it's saying that God was all man. He was definitely a man who walked this earth. He stubbed his toe, he'd hurt himself, but he was also all God. He was all man and all God. Uh, He created all things. It said in that um, passage that all things were created by him and created for him, which is a really interesting statement, which we'll go into a bit later as well. It's like in um, John 1.1, where it talks about Jesus and it uses a metaphor of the word. It says... Um, that all things were made without him uh, all things were made by him and without him nothing was made that has been made and if we go back to the start of the bible in genesis 1 1 it says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth jesus is the creator that you know, the only person that can do that is god so paul's just laying this foundation jesus is god jesus is god the next one relates directly to us he is the firstborn of the dead he proved his lordship over the material world by rising from the dead he was the first to conquer and to make a way for us to do likewise when we accept Jesus when we follow him we likewise enter into that life that we can beat um, death it no longer has a hold over us and finally he's the head of the church he's the head of powerhouse church but he's head of the universal church at that uh combined church event we spoke about how we are one church and that's Jesus is the head over the whole church. He is our master. He is our king. He is our Lord. And he's the reason we have access and reconciliation of our relationship to um, God the Father. So that's why Jesus is the authority. That's why he has supremacy um, over us and over all creation because of who he is. And on the sufficiency side, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Mark spoke about that beautifully in the the communion, so I'm not going to harp on about it. But we know that... What was accomplished on that cross forgave us of our sins. Sin is an offence before God. When you sin, you're actually offending God. It, it, does, it hurts him. So uh, that's why repentance is so important for us as Christians, that we can make a decision and, and turn away. And it's not just something we do, I'm going off on a side note now, but it's not just something you do at salvation, but repentance should be a way of life for us Christians. When we notice a sin in our life, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, that should be a moment where you stop, repent, and turn away from that sin and choose a, uh, a, better, a better way. And because of that forgiveness of sin, we've been reconciled in our relationship to, to, um, to God now as well. So in Genesis, we know that sin entered the world, that man chose sin over God and the relationship was broken. Sin entered the, the world and a curse came in that's caused um, all the damage and harm to his good creation. But through what Jesus did on that cross... And it talks about it in Colossians 1, 20 and 22, that now we have been reconciled to God through what Jesus has done. And because of this, we're now alive in Christ. Uh, when you sin, Mark spoke about this as well, that um, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So when you're living in that sinful life, you're actually living in death. But when you, when you accept Jesus, you move into the light and you're actually alive. You're taken out of death and into life just go on to slide two now the next slide sorry not slide two whatever the next one is yes that's right so it's all about Jesus Paul throughout Colossians but in particularly that passage I just read highlights who Jesus really is that he is God that he created that the fullness of God dwells in him that he can forgive sin and he can reconcile us the material world has no power over him in fact he has overcome and disarmed all powers and all authorities That's why John says that we can have life and have it abundantly. And Paul and Peter and and a lot of the New Testament writers talk about us being free. We're no longer um, slaves to anything. We are free. If we give Jesus um, permission to come into our life. Unless we place ourselves under his power and his care. Because we can choose not to accept Jesus and continue to live in uh, slavery to sin. You see, it's all about Jesus. This is all the stuff we need to understand before we can go on to the the rest of the letter of Colossians because we have to understand Jesus before we can understand the impact of this on our life, on every part of our life. So just change the slide. there. go to the next one. Paul's goal in focusing on the supremacy and sufficiency, and he, he does it all through Colossians, but particularly those first couple of chapters. His goal in this was to lay the foundation Cause to talk about the thing that he really wanted to get across to the Colossian church, <clears throat> that to live a life with Christ means to live a life connected to Jesus, a life centred on Jesus, where all other aspects and parts of our life flow out from that centre point of Jesus. We were created for him, it says in Colossians 1.16. That is our purpose. That is why real peace is only found in following Jesus And then after laying this foundation, he spends the rest of the Colossians calling them, calling Christians all through Asia, calling us even now a couple of thousand years later. He's calling us to a different way of life, a life of surrender to Jesus. I just want to read um, a bit from Colossians 3 now. It's Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. It's a bit like what James was saying last week in Philippians. It's this eternal perspective. It's about shifting our attention from the things of our world and onto the things that matter, the things that really matter. Paul is calling us to surrender our life to Jesus, because that is what will lead to the best life. You can have joy and you can have peace and you can have love and hope. The trouble is we often don't fully give ourselves over to Jesus, we only partly surrender. So I know when I first gave my heart to Jesus, I felt at the time I was giving it wholeheartedly, but I really, that I really believed in Jesus and I desired to follow him. But as I think back now, um, 20 years ago it was, I don't think I was really ready to hand over every part of my life to him. I still had so much to learn. I kept my life compartmentalised. I kept parts of my life outside of the touch of Jesus. And I was also in a church that didn't believe in the continuing works of the Holy Spirit. They believed that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit had stopped when the apostles died. So things like healing and prophecy and tongues and miracles, they taught all those things never existed. If you go to the next slide, I'll show you. A this is my old church. <laughs> See if you can spot me. <laughs> good luck, oh, you'll figure it out You don't know what age I am, so it's a bit harder And you have to imagine me without my beard <clears throat> So when, when we, we'd pray for people, like they were a faithful church They talk, taught me about righteousness They taught me about um, how to honour God How to be disciplined in my faith There were so many good things that come from my journey at this church It's just that when we prayed for people We didn't believe that they'd be healed So we only had part of the story We didn't get the full story of who Jesus was and personally, I also kept parts of my life outside of his reach. I wouldn't. I, I remember having a conversation with a friend back then talking about how I've got like my God thing sorted on Sunday and how my work situation's going really well. And I was studying at uni at the time and my life was all on track, but I could just see how compartmentalised my life was, that I, Jesus wasn't infused into every part of it. And uh, I know then that I had Jesus in a box, I had God in a box, that I just had to know this little bit of God before he would start to slowly reveal the rest of himself to me but that was where I was the reality is I was only ready at that time to give part of my life to him and I see many other people do this as well through so many conversations I've had over the last few years or probably over my Christian life I can see that so many people they love the idea of Jesus they love the idea of faith they um, come and, and ask Jesus into their life but they're scared to give over their whole, their whole life to him there's a, um, a great analogy which I'm going to borrow because I just think it's the best analogy for, for what I'm talking about here. It's um, from Jay John. Some of you might have heard this analogy over the years. It's, he, he talks about think about your car, uh, sorry, think about your life as a car. You can go to the next slide. It's, oh, hang on. Did you find me? You can go back. I'll, I'll show you. I'm right up the back. That guy with the white shirt and the tie, I'm sort of just next to him there. Did you pick it? Well yes. done. He might have been. It could have been. Let's see if my parents are in there. They'd be on there. Is my father there? Trish wouldn't have been in this one. This was before Trish, BT. Pre-Trish. Yes. So anyway, we'll go to that next slide. So J. John challenges us to think of our life uh, like it's a car. The car of your life, we'll call it. To be a Christian means you invite Christ into your car. And I'd imagine looking around that most people here have invited Jesus into their car. But where is he in your car? Where do you put Jesus? Do you drive to church on a Sunday, unlock the boot, get Jesus out and bring him up for a religious happy hour? And then when it's finished, you go back to the parking lot and shove Jesus back in the boot. Get in there! But... Um, Maybe he's, not in the, maybe he's not in the boot. Maybe he's in the, in the back seat. He's just a passenger. He's watching what you do going through life, but he has no real interaction in your life. You don't talk to him. He's just sitting there in the back, looking out the window, watching what's going on. Maybe he's, in the, he's a front seat passenger. Maybe he's more like a friend, you know, sitting in the front there. You're able to talk to him, communicate. He might say, oh, why don't you just turn left over here? But, uh, but he's not really in control of your life. Or is he in your driver's seat? Are you willing to put Jesus in the driver's seat of the car of your life? Is that what you have done? There's, there's one more question. If he is in the driver's seat in the, of the car of your life, are you a backseat driver? When he turns left, are you going, whoa, where are you going? What are you going down that road for? I'm taking you down the road to compassion. And you go, oh, oh I don't want to have compassion He's taking you down the road to generosity. You say, oh, what are you doing going down there? I don't want to be generous. I don't want to forgive that person. We make all these excuses and we try and drive our own life. Yeah. Our belief in Jesus has to affect our behaviour. Our belief in Jesus has to affect our behaviour. In every area, that's the work of Jesus. The most important decision that we have in life is to invite Jesus into the car of our life. That's our most important decision. But the best decision you can ever make is asking Jesus to sit in the driver's seat. Hopefully, as we grow in knowledge and trust, we can see his work in our life and we can choose to give more over to him. I know this happened to me. As I saw his work in my life, as I saw answered prayers, as I saw and felt his presence, I knew that he could be trusted. And I started to give over more of my life to him And every time I did, every single time, it was for the better. It doesn't mean you don't go through hard things. You still I had some hard journeys through life, but um, it is always for the better. I know that I am where I am today because God has intervened in my life. I can look back and see him sort of directing me in and out of paths. I know that I married Trish because he brought us together. I know we've got the children we've got because of him. I know I'm in Maryborough because of a direct um, intervention by Jesus into my life at the time. And if I go way back to even before I gave my life to God, I had a, an opportunity in my high school years to go one way or the other. I had a, a friend who was a major influence in my life that I went to school with, and he was sort of leading me down a bad track. My mum's going to ask, what is going on? But I'll tell you later. <laughs> but it, he was a bad influence. And at the time, he wanted me to go to the surf club with him down at Chugan on the Gold Coast. At the very same time our church had just started a boys brigade and I was not interested in boys brigade at all. I thought the uniforms looked stupid and I had no interest in it at all, but out of respect for a friend who invited me I thought, I won't go to the surf club, I'm going to go to, to um, boys brigade. And that decision, when I look back, actually changed the course of my life. I never missed a boys brigade after that, yeah. And it was, it was because of soccer actually, Taylor, you'd be impressed with that. We, every Friday night at Boys Brigade, we played soccer, and that was, for me, just the, the bee's knees. I just loved it. I looked forward to it every week, and then we started doing camps and stuff, and it led to a youth group, and it led to me finding Jesus in a fuller and more real way, all because of one decision that I made back in one place. That friend who um, was a bad influence, both him and his two older brothers all went to prison and all went down a, a track that was um, really sad when I look back at it he was such a good guy but um just um bad choices remember paul said in colossians that jesus is supreme over all creation he holds the keys to living the life that we were created for we just have to put our faith and our trust in him we have to give him the driver's seat he won't take it from us by force you have to give it over to him we get to choose where he sits in our life so where are you putting jesus in your life take a moment to think about that where is Jesus in your life have you got him in the driver's seat is he in the passenger seat is he in the back seat or is he still in the boot or maybe he's not even in your car yet maybe you're sitting here um, wondering about um, why would you let Jesus into your life and I hope that that Holy Spirit is prompting you if that's you that um, that you can say yes to Jesus it's the best thing that you can do Our ultimate goal as Christians should be like Paul. We should be able to say, for me to live is Christ. All of us are somewhere on that journey, but the the funny thing is the best best that we can have is when we are a close friend of God. I know in my life, the times that I've been closest to God is where I've experienced the most joy and the most peace. I had an experience recently, like earlier this year, and it lasted for about a month, where every morning when I woke up, the presence of God was just strongly there. As soon as I um, woke up, I could just feel this amazing sense of deep joy in the centre of my being. I could just lay there and commune with God, and, and I'd often pray, and he'd often um, give me things in that time as well. Just, it was an amazing time, and I don't know to this day why he chose at that time to do it, and only for a month, but uh, it was a trying time, and there was stuff going on in, in life, but um, it was just such an amazing time to have God so close. To be with him every morning like that, I just look forward to it. I still pray for it now to come back because it was such a good time. But um, yeah, and I've had a bunch of experiences over my years, feeling that closeness of God, the working of the Holy Spirit in you. I've had prayers answered, just amazing prayers. Like praying for uh, an opportunity to share the gospel, and like less than an hour later, someone just randomly asks you a question about about Jesus. You know, I've been. While praying, just had um, words come that not, not my own. They didn't come from me at all. I know they come from the Holy Spirit. Yes. I've been prayed over and and felt that incredible closeness of God. Those when the youth prayed for us in um, at that time, it was just amazing the the uh, the feeling, the close feeling. It felt like Jesus embracing you in that time. And at that combined church service the other day, I don't know if any of you guys felt it, but I really felt the presence of Jesus there when the churches united and came together and. And there was no pretense, there was no I'm better or bigger or whatever. It was, it was just people humbly worshipping together and loving Jesus. And there are so many great stories of what happens when God's presence is strongly there. We've heard a million stories, you can get books on it. There's, um, Craig Keener's got a whole collection, he's investigated and gone and seen miracle stories that in the present day, um, he's got like two or three volumes of these miracles that he's researched and, and proven are real we know that God is real and working strongly. He's healing, he's doing miracles, he's transforming lives. And I'm not sure why or how um, it happens that God comes strong in those times where he's just manifest, because God is everywhere all at once. We know he's omnipresent, like God is everywhere in every part, he sees, he knows everything. But it's, there's undoubtedly, sometimes he just manifests in a way that is so tangible and so strong that the physical world is affected. And that's what we call revival when God's presence is so strong that the physical world just can't hold him in. It says in Colossians that we were created for Jesus. Our purpose is to be in his presence and relationship with him. And that's why it feels so good and right when we are there. C.S. Lewis often spoke about that God-shaped hole in us, you know, like there's something in us that can only be filled by Jesus and I think we all sense that from time to time we try and fill it with all sorts of stuff in the Colossian church they were trying to fill it with the worship of angels and and they had a practice of abstaining from everything in the world you know you couldn't eat or drink or, or you know any rich foods or fancy foods and and all of that stuff might be good on its own but it doesn't fulfill that hole inside of you it can only be filled by Jesus and In our modern world, I was thinking over what are the things, you know, what are the cultural influences from our society that are affecting us and and how we live our life and how we practice our faith, you know, and in our Western society, we are so individualistic, you know, it's all about you, you know, and and we're not meant to be isolated islands, I'm going to talk a little bit about that later, like as Christians in particular, we're meant to do this thing together, we're supposed to be part of a body of believers, you know, there's this massive push now for the pursuit of pleasure. You know, Hedonism has really become a thing. I saw an ad on TV um, when I was watching Ninja Warrior with the kids, it was um, like a, this show called Love Island and it had nothing to do with love whatsoever. It was all about lust and I'm like, man, people are just trying to fill their life with all this stuff, but in the end, it just breeds emptiness. And you can see it in those shows, like even in the ad, you can see the people in tears and breaking down, it's like, there's no love here. You know, Love does not end in that. We need to overcome what our society has to offer. And Jesus is such a better thing than what the world offers you. <clears throat> so how do we do this? How do we surrender our life to God? It's a very easy strategy that, that um, Paul gives us here in Colossians. It was simply to set your hearts and minds on things above and to live your journey of life with your brothers and sisters. And I'm going to read this um this uh, another passage from Colossians. I think this is where I was going to do it. I should check the next bit of paper to make sure I'm on the right track. Yes, because I, I started writing um, this big explanation of what Paul was saying in the end of Colossians here and how we're to live our life. But in the end, I just realised I was just sort of repeating what Paul said and, and all scripture is God breathed, you know, so why don't I just read the scripture instead of doing Simon breathed? <laughs> So I'm going to read to you. It's from um, Colossians 3, 5 to 17. It's sort of a longer section. It comes after that, um, set your hearts on, on Jesus, um, set your hearts and minds on things above section. It starts in, in, uh, in verse 5, I'll start. So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Greed's probably another one for us too, and materialism, uh, things that um, just influence us so strongly we end up going after money rather than worrying about the more important things in life about your eternal salvation. Uh, The wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, Remove them from your lips, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self um, with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creation uh, creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew uncircumcised or circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Paul often uses that sort of language, you know. I was reading Galatians the other night where he talks about the same thing. It's you no know, male or female, um, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. It's a common theme with Paul that in Jesus, we are now all equal. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. This is you if you've, cho- if you've chosen Jesus. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility And goodness and patience. And you know, in Galatians it goes on to say love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self control. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Just like to repeat that last bit, hey, like whether... Whatever you do, whatever you do, in word, deed, so in all actions and whatever you say, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. After that section, it just goes on and Paul Paul talks to wives and husbands and fathers and children. He just starts talking to the Colossians about um, the influence of God in every part of your life and how that looks. That's what he is calling us to. I'm just going to move into the conclusion. If the band want to start making their way back up, they can start coming up now. So just to summarise, Jesus is God. Everything that needed to be done has been done. We have forgiveness. We have a restored relationship to God and it's all done through Jesus and his work on the cross. All we have to do now is surrender our lives unto him, to put Jesus in the driver's seat, to live in our created purpose and trust in him, so that we can have a peace and joy that is so rich and so deep that nothing in the whole universe could even come close to compare it. So this is the, the, the list that we just spoke through in Colossians, the earthly nature and the Jesus nature. Which side would you rather live on? Which side looks the better side to, to live your life on? I know for me, like I would choose the Jesus nature every day and you can see this in the world. If you watch TV shows, from the world's perspective, you'll start seeing that these other attitudes and these other things that they are feeding into people, all these crime dramas and, and things that are so um, common nowadays, are, are all just bringing the evilness and the, the bad stuff into our life. Where we can have a closeness to Jesus and walk in that nature and know compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness. For me, this highlights what is at stake with those two choices we have. Do you want to be part of the kingdom of the sun, the kingdom of light? Or do you want to continue to live in that dominion of darkness? If you, see, if you uh, choose Jesus, put him in the driver's seat. Make that a prayer for yourself this week. Say, Jesus, I want to surrender to you. I want to put you in the driver's seat. If you're lacking the faith or trust, talk to him about that and say, I'm lacking the faith because Jesus can help you with that as well. Only one of these two roads can lead to peace. Peace only one can fill the void that is often inside of us and lingers there it can only be filled by jesus the beautiful thing is though you don't have to do it alone and this is what i was talking about before that we are a body of believers this is something that we can do together it doesn't have to just be you salvation is an individual thing when you come to know god it's between you and god but christianity is lived out with fellow believers How amazing would it be for us as a community of believers to all surrender ourselves unto Jesus and follow his path and his ways completely where yeah, we don't let the world's influence affect our devotion and our service to the king my heart really aches for that I'd love to journey with a whole bunch of people who are just sold out to Jesus and want to live for him and can put, push that stuff of the flesh and the stuff of the world to one side If you wanna know what that looks like, have a read of the book of Acts. What the believers did at the start, that's what our movement's named after. Acts 2 Alliance is named after what happened at the start of Acts. When they surrendered their lives to Him, they literally changed the world. And we are here today because of what happened to those people there as they followed Jesus. Does your heart long for that? Do you long to be united with other believers, sold out to Jesus, changing the world for Him, seeing people connecting to God in powerful ways, seeing the sick healed, the dead raised and working in amazing connection to God and feeling his presence all the while. It can be yours, it can be ours by simply choosing to put Jesus in the driver's seat and do that together on a journey of faith together.